I want to talk to you tonight by way of offering some encouragement to you and to me concerning a key job that we have as Christians, as servants of our Lord. The job that I have in mind is the job of evangelism. We want to spend a few minutes tonight talking about doing a better job in evangelism because I hope all of you would agree there's always room for improvement in this area. The business of sharing the truth about Jesus Christ, of helping lost souls learn what they must do in order to be saved, is a very important assignment that we have as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like so many things, there's always room for improvement. And I think many of us feel in regards to this in particular, we can do better. So we want to talk about that. Stop for just a minute to add words of welcome to those that Yancey already extended. We're so glad that you're here. Appreciate our visitors. Uh, we look forward always to coming together to worship God with our intention being to glorify Him and to edify one another. And we hope that those things are accomplished by our meeting tonight. Thanks to everyone for being here. We want to take our lesson from the book of Daniel. We want to learn some lessons about evangelism from some of the episodes, familiar episodes that happened in the book of Daniel. One of our excuses that we make is, you know, these are tough times. How many times I've said that? I don't know how many times I've heard others say that. It's just a hard time to, to get people interested. It's a hard time to do evangelism. There's a lot going on in the world, and it, it just makes it difficult to find people who are really seeking and are interested. Now, I believe that's a true observation, but I believe that we may use it sometimes as an excuse. Yes, these are hard times, but I'll tell you, they're not as hard times as it was when Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were in Babylon. They were captives of a foreign nation. And so, uh, you know, and, and that nation, by the way, was a pagan nation. It wasn't a nation of people who had any inclination toward the true God of heaven. So, yes, I agree we live in hard times, but I would say we don't live in as difficult when it comes to evangelism. Our times are not dif near as difficult as what those faithful servants of God faced back in that time and the history of it as recorded for us in the book of Daniel. So first, the first thing I want to do with you is just look at some of the statements in the book of Daniel that highlight what a few faithful servants of God were able to accomplish uh, by virtue of their efforts to honor God in their lives. So that's all we're going to do here first. We're going to talk about the, the context or what led up to these outcomes. But just notice these outcomes. These are the outcomes. Then we're going to talk about how they got there. First of all, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. Now, you got to emphasize Nebuchadnezzar here. We know that character. We've studied that many times before. But don't fail to recognize that Nebuchadnezzar was literally, without question, the most powerful man in the whole world at that time. So here's the most powerful man in the world. And he's being influenced by Daniel to a point that he acknowledges the God of heaven. To Daniel, he says, your God is a God of gods, a Lord of kings. So here's the, the, the most powerful man in the world, and through the influence of Daniel, he's acknowledging the true God of heaven. Who's the most powerful man in the world today? I don't, I don't know. 
Is it Donald Trump in Washington, D.C.? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But let's just take Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. Would you ever in your wildest dreams imagine that you could reach Donald Trump with a message about God? <laughs> I would say, I just can't imagine that, can you? But literally, that's what Daniel was able to accomplish here. He was able to influence the very most powerful man in the world. That's really significant if you stop to think about it. Also, then, in chapter 3, this is again about Nebuchadnezzar, but in this instance, Nebuchadnezzar was influenced by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were contemporaries and worked with Daniel, who were close with Daniel in that time. Here's, here's another outcome. We're just looking at outcomes. We're, we're just looking at the results, uh, not the details. We'll talk about that in a minute. But notice, Nebuchadnezzar says, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill. Wow. That's strong words, isn't it? Uh, those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had powerfully influenced Nebuchadnezzar. Go to chapter 4. In chapter 4, again, about Nebuchadnezzar. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are true and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Now this is after God had judged and punished Nebuchadnezzar for his pride, as you recall. But again, notice, here's Nebuchadnezzar, this great, powerful ruler, acknowledging God. And then, just one more, in Daniel chapter 6, it talks not, in this instance, time has, history has moved on a little bit, and now the king is Darius. Darius was a subsequent king to Nebuchadnezzar, but he actually wasn't a Babylonian king, he was a Medo-Persian king. Uh, but still, Daniel is still serving in the government, and he's still being an influence. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And so here's another great powerful king who's been influenced to at least acknowledge the God of heaven through the work that Daniel did. So, again, all we're looking at just here initially is these are some pretty amazing results. We read the book of Daniel quite a bit. We read those statements we've just been reading. And, and have you ever stopped to think about it, though? These fellows were influencing kings, powerful men. Some of the most powerful in the history of the world were influenced by these faithful servants of God. Now, here's our question. How in the world did they do that? What were the keys to their success in being able to influence such people? And I really believe that if we take some pointers from them, we can do a better job of sharing the gospel. Probably not with kings, not with presidents, not with high-ranking officials likely. What about just our own friends and neighbors? What about our family members? What about our co-workers? I believe we can be more effective if we look to some of the example set forward by these faithful ones in the book of Daniel. So, let's make some suggestions. One of the things that they did that we need to do is that they lived a sanctified life. We, we understand that the word sanctified is sort of one of those church words that is seldom used outside of religious discussion. 
The word sanctified means very simply, though, set apart and dedicated. And to live a sanctified life means that you live a life like that, that is dedicated, set apart, devoted to serving the Lord. And so to live a, a sanctified life basically means to live right. Live right. Do the right thing with the understanding that other people are watching you. I don't care who you are. There are other people who are watching you. And your example, the way you live your life is vital to your success in trying to evangelize, to share the message with others. Certainly, Daniel uh, stands out in our mind as an individual who did that. You know this verse, Daniel 1, verse 8. Remember, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were some promising young men who were taken captive in the first captivity. Nebuchadnezzar took three groups of captives over a period of several years. Three different groups were taken captive. Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were among those that were taken in the first captivity, but they weren't taken as prisoners to serve in a dungeon somewhere, they were taken as promising young men who, might, who they might uh, sort of incorporate into the culture uh, of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans as they're also referred to in Scripture. And so Daniel was one of those. And so it wasn't that they were thrown in a jail somewhere and given bread and water. No, actually these fellows, though captives, were given preferential treatment. Uh, they, they were... Special provisions were being made to feed them and to train them. But here's the problem. Daniel is a faithful Israelite. Daniel's a faithful Jew. We know as we've studied the law of Moses that there were certain dietary restrictions on those people. Uh, if you're going to live under the law of Moses, there's certain things you can't eat, certain things you can't drink. There's certain, there were dietary restrictions. But here the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has made special provision for them to have all kinds of food and drink, but it wasn't what the law of Moses allowed. So what did Daniel do? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This expression, purposed in his heart, is so important. Other versions say that he resolved that he would not defile himself. I, I really like the New American Standard version there that says simply, he made up his mind. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. He just made up his mind. I'm just not going to do that. He was determined. He was committed. He was dedicated to being faithful to the Lord. And he was going to do that no matter what. I'm going to tell you, having that kind of mindset. I am determined. I am going to do what is right. Living that sanctified life, so important if we're going to be successful in influencing other people. This is a theme, really, that's repeated throughout the Scripture. In the New Testament, we read what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, beginning verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice he says, you've got to abstain from the passions of the flesh. You've got to conduct yourself in a way that's honorable among those that you're trying to influence. And that is really such a key. There's nothing worse that we can do than to claim to be disciples of the Lord, but then by our example show others that we're not living that way. We're not practicing what we preach. So a key 
to being successful in influencing other people, as clearly evidenced in Daniel's specific case, was make up your mind that you're going to live a right life. You're going to live a, a sanctified life. Second, let me, let me suggest to you that you've got to strive for excellence. You remember the U.S. Army has had, I don't know if they're still using this expression anymore, but for many, many years they had an advertising campaign where they said, be the best that you can be. And, and they used that effectively in their efforts to recruit people to the Army. I'm going to tell you, that expression is, needs to be in our minds. That we need to be the best that we can be. We need to strive for excellence. You know why? The reason why is no one is going to be impressed with a half hearted, lukewarm Christian. So here's a guy, and he's just, he's not really into it. He's, he's not really, he, hey, he hasn't given himself wholly to the business of being a Christian. He's just a nominal Christian. He's sort of half-hearted in the way that he serves. He, the, the, the word that the Lord used about the layout of sins in Revelation chapter 3, he's lukewarm. He's just not really given over to it. He's just half-hearted. I tell you, that kind of person probably is not going to influence people for good. He hasn't committed himself. So we need to strive for excellence. That will help us in influencing other people. Go back to the book of Daniel again. In Daniel chapter 1, remember, Daniel had asked for exception. I don't want to eat that food that you've provided because it would be against my convictions. And so the, the eunuch who was in charge of these young men agreed. Uh, and they didn't have to defile themselves. As, as the time of their training wound down, they, they were brought for examination before the king. In, in Daniel chapter 1, beginning verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chiefs of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all them, none was found like Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their, these are their Hebrew names. Uh, but that's the same guys, right? In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Notice, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were found ten times better than anyone else. Now, I think... Without doubt, there's strong evidence here of God's providential hand in blessing these young men. But I don't think that you could possibly doubt that they applied themselves diligently to be the best that they could be. Uh, and, and our point here is we've got to do the same. If we're just mediocre Christians, if we're just half-hearted, if we're not really into it, there's a very low probability that we're going to have any success in impressing anybody else. Let me look at a New Testament example that emphasizes the same thing. In Titus 2, verse 9, exhort servants. We understand the word servant there almost certainly suggests the idea of a person who was in a slave-master relationship. So think of it that way. Exhort slaves to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may notice adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So even to a slave in a slave-master relationship here, Paul says, you do the right thing. You be the best slave you can be. You be the best servant you can be. Because in doing that, you're going to adorn 
the doctrine of God. That, that should be what we're striving to do. We want to make the doctrine of God look good. We want to adorn it. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that we're either going to make it look good or bad, right? We, we say in the song, we are the only Bible the vain world will ever read. You, know, you remember that song? And, and the idea of it is people in the world, they're, not, they're probably not going to read their Bible at all. The only thing they're going to know of it, at least initially, is what they see of it in us. And so we need to be the best we can be to adorn the doctrine of God. Uh, we need to strive for excellence, not, not settle for just mediocrity. Strive for excellence as, as a servant of God. I would suggest to you another lesson we see in regards to these men is that they, they really believed the message. Um, in Daniel 2, Daniel was called on to interpret a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had. We're not going into all the details about that dream. We've studied it many times. It's a very important dream. But when Daniel gave the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, he said in Daniel 2, verse 45, The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain. The interpretation thereof is sure. Daniel had no doubt that what had been revealed through him to the king was absolutely certainly the truth and it was going to happen. He, he, he believed that. Now get this, Daniel was receiving a direct revelation from God, wasn't he? As he was empowered to interpret that dream. But think of it, he received a message from God, he believed it emphatically. Alright, we're not, we're not in Daniel's shoes in that regard. We're not receiving direct inspiration from God. But we do have a message from God, right? It didn't come to us miraculously through divine intervention, not, in, not directly to us, but it is God's revealed, inspired Word, right? And the question is, do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it to the, fact that, to the point that we're going to live it? Some examples. When you think about it, do you believe the Bible? What kind of things come to your mind? Well, do, first of all, do you believe the, the creation account in Genesis 1? Do you believe creation versus the false scientific claims of evolution? Do you really believe that? Do you got to really believe it? The Bible's true in regards to that, and there's all kind of evidence that the creation account is accurate and true. Do you believe it? Furthermore, do you believe uh, what the Bible teaches about morality? Do you really believe it? Uh, for instance, what about drinking alcohol? Do you believe what the Bible says about drinking alcohol? we got way too many Christians these days who are compromising on the drinking of alcohol. Do you believe that the Bible condemns the drinking of alcohol? Yes or no? If you believe it, live it. Right? Do you really believe it? Don't, don't be wishy-washy here. Don't try to straddle the fence. Is it true or not? Do you, in doctrinal matters, do you believe what the Bible says? Do you believe what God has revealed? He's not revealing to us miraculously like he was to Daniel, but he has revealed the truth to us. Do you, do you believe what the Bible teaches about the use of instrumental music in New Testament worship? It, it doesn't authorize it, right? Do you really believe that? We've even got Christians who are, who are equivocating on the question of instrumental music. Do you, what do you believe? You've got to know what you believe. You've got to believe what you believe. And believe it firmly. And I think it, uh, our example from Daniel is that he, he, when God revealed something, he believed it with all his heart. And that's the way that we need to be.
In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 8, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Here Paul is talking about some of the very intense persecutions which he suffered. Why in the world would you suffer such persecutions? Well, Paul explains why. He says, We also believe and therefore speak. We endure these persecutions and we keep right on teaching what we teach because we believe it. Uh, if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't have been doing it, right? After all the persecutions he faced. He believed it. That's why he was willing to endure those persecutions and keep right on teaching the message. Uh, so, we need to really believe the message. People can tell whether we really believe it or not. Even people that are not Christians can tell if we're sort of a compromiser when it comes to religious truth. Uh, you can tell a compromiser just by talking to them briefly. Are we just going to be sort of mushy when it comes to truth and doctrine? People are going to detect in us pretty quickly that we don't even really stand for anything. It can't be that way. If we're going to influence people, we've got to firmly believe the message. And I think Daniel gave the example that he did. Obviously, if you're going to try to influence others for good, don't try hide your faith. Daniel, of course, provides the classic example of a person who was not going to hide his faith in God. Daniel chapter 6, you, uh, probably you immediately think when you think Daniel chapter Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. We remember that chapter so well. Such, such an interesting story, and what a great example Daniel sets there. You remember that... Daniel had some political enemies in the government because Daniel was doing such a good job and he was being elevated to high, high rank above everybody else. And just like politicians today, politicians are, are uh, jealous, envious sort of people. And, and, and his political enemies would like to get after him some way or another. But even among themselves, they acknowledge the only way we're going to get anything on Daniel is if we put, a, put him in a conflict between the law of the land and the law of his God. That's the only way we're going to catch him. And so they came up with this scheme. And uh, they urged the king. The king was duped into this uh, action. They said, Make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask the petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. The king said, That sounds like a pretty good idea. I guess that's okay. Go ahead. We'll make the decree. Of course, the problem was when you made a, a law in, in that system, he made a law, it couldn't be revoked. And they made law. And then the king found out later that he'd been duped into this matter, but he couldn't change the law. So what happened? Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. As a result of that, of course, Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. But I just want to emphasize to you, I like this expression, his windows open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He wasn't, he wasn't going to go behind closed doors. Notice, he did just as he had been doing before. He didn't change his practice. He wasn't going to hide his faith in God. Uh, these men knew that he wouldn't, by the way. And so... Just as soon as they had the chance, they checked up on him. Sure enough, he was doing what he always done. He was praying to God. And so they came to the king. They, they, they accused him. The king had no option but to throw him in the lion's den. You know how that all turned out. 
But I just want to emphasize the wonderful example of Daniel. He was not going to change his practice. He wasn't going to hide his faith, his conviction, his devotion to God. What about us? You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Jesus said, you're ashamed of me. I'll be ashamed of you in that final day of judgment. Are we ashamed to be acknowledged and identified as Christians? Uh, are you ashamed maybe... Uh, uh, this is, I'm just reaching for some examples here. Maybe you go out to a restaurant to eat. Are you ashamed for others to see you praying before you eat? Maybe you have a few minutes downtime at work or someplace else and you get your Bible out to read your Bible. Are you ashamed for people to see you reading your Bible? Maybe you're together with some other Christians and discussion of religious matters comes up, but some strangers come around and you're ashamed for them to hear you talking about spiritual matters. Uh, what about all of that? Well, the answer is don't be. Don't try to hide who you are. Don't try to hide your faith. Let it be seen. Let your light shine is the point. We, we should be that way. And when others see that we are that way, that's going to give a real opportunity for us to influence them for good. It's a key to us being effective evangelists for the Lord. In a closely associated point, we would say just take a stand. To take a stand, well, if, if you were thinking of that, how would you put that in your own words? What does it mean to take a stand? Well, I guess I would probably say to take a stand indicates that you are steadfast and determined. You're going, you're, I'm going to stand here, and I'm not going to be moved away from this point. Uh, you, you take a stand. You're going to do what's right no matter what. The problem is that if we don't make that determination to take a stand, if if we, if we did the right thing 99 times in a row, but then we, we let down once, once out of a hundred times, you know, that one time we let down will offset all the 99 times that we did the right thing. Take a stand. Be determined that you're going to do the right thing no matter what. Here we have the example, the wonderful example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, in this instance, this is when Nebuchadnezzar had set up a, 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 a huge image and he required that everybody bow down and worship the image that he had constructed. In fact, there was a, there was a signal that went out to the population. When they heard certain kinds of music playing, the rule was, you better bow down and worship the idol. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do so and they were challenged about it and brought before the king. Shadrach, Meshach, this is Daniel 3, beginning verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. A couple of things about this. Notice who they're talking to again. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Don't, just because we're familiar with that, don't lose sight of the fact of who he was and the power that he possessed. They're talking to the most powerful man in the world and they said, we're not careful to answer you about this. We will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. I mean, that, that just set him off. He was as mad as he could be. Of course, the punishment had already been established that if you don't bow down and worship the image, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace, right? The burning fire furnace was, was prepared for them, and they were thrown in to the, the furnace. You know how the outcome of the event was, that the Lord delivered them from that. And again, Nebuchadnezzar ended up acknowledging the God of heaven because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Would you agree with me that they took a stand? We're going to do what's right. We are determined to do it. We're taking our stand here. We will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Uh, you've got to be impressed with the faith and commitment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taking a stand for the Lord. We need to do the same. Paul said this. He says, conduct, Philippians 1.27, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm. Take a stand. Take a stand. I need to take a stand. I don't take a stand in front of my kids. I'm going to take a stand. We're going to do the right thing. No matter what, we're going to do the right thing. Again, go to church a hundred times in a row, but then we miss one to go to a Little League baseball game. That one exception... I should have I should have held my ground. I should have maintained my stand. When I compromised that one time, it wiped out all the hundred times before that we had gone to church regularly without exception. I didn't take a stand. Take a stand uh, with those that you work with. Let them know where you stand. You can you can be consistently faithful, but if you make one slip, one exception. They're going to note that. All the other good example that you set is going to be wiped out. With my neighbors, uh, I, I, want to, I want to take a stand. I want them to know where I stand. If, I, if, if there's one exception in my conduct, they will observe it and it will ruin my influence. Take a stand. You see what we're saying? Would you agree that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took a stand? I tell you, what courage to Nebuchadnezzar to say, we will not. Can we have the strength of character and the faith that when people try to tempt us to do something that is contrary to our faith, to simply take the stand and say, I will not. I will not. If we're going to be effective in influencing them for good, we've got to follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Finally, let me suggest it needs to be so obvious that we trust God. Uh, I want to go back to the previous example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about bowing down before that idol. They took a stand. They were determined. They were going to do the right thing no matter what. Let me add into this passage the part that we had excluded earlier. Look at it again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Would you agree that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there d demonstrated a total trust in God? We, we believe that if God chooses to do so, he can deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. You remember how hot the furnace was? 
Nebuchadnezzar was so mad he had him fire that furnace up way hotter than usual to the point that they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and carried them and threw them into the furnace. And the furnace was so hot that the guys who threw them in died from the heat. They didn't even go in the furnace, but the, heat, the furnace was so hot that the guys who threw them in died from the exposure to the heat. Then God can deliver us. We trust God. God can deliver But he, no matter what, they said, it really doesn't matter whether he does or not. We will not serve thy uh, God. Uh, they had total trust in God. And you've got to believe that that led to the success of influencing the strongest man in the world, the most powerful man in the world. All of these episodes that we've talked about go back to those initial things that we read, how Nebuchadnezzar and later Darius were influenced to acknowledge and confess the true God of heaven by these four men, four faithful servants of God, were able to affect the most powerful people in the world by their lives, by what they did. Paul, of course, is a, a great example of one who totally trusted God. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If we trust God, we can succeed in this very vital work that we've been discussing tonight. The book of Daniel is a great book. We just recently read it in our daily Bible readings. And there's so many lessons and so many important, we didn't even talk about the prophetic parts of Daniel. Uh, Daniel's 12 chapters long. The first six chapters are these events, this, this sort of narrative about things that happen. You get to the last half of the book of Daniel, then you get into some really powerful prophecies about things that were going to happen. But those first six chapters, there's a lot in there that serve as great encouragement for us. If we're going to be effective in influencing other people, there's a lot to learn from Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Are you ready to obey the Lord to become His child? Have you never become a Christian before? If that's the case, the simple New Testament plan is hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If we can assist in your obedience, we want to do so. We'd be anxious to do so. If you need more information, more study, say so. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to your Lord. Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.